Music to Code By is taking the developer world by storm. Now there are six extra tracks available online in addition to the original three. That's nine Pomodoros of pure productivity just waiting for you. Check them out at mtcb.pwop.com. Net Rocks, episode 1231, with guest Bill Semph. Recorded Friday, December 11th, 2015. Hey, 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 it's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here for another hour of fun and joy. Mystery and mayhem. Mystery, mayhem, fun, <laughs> joy. It's all the same. It's all the same stuff. Especially when we're talking security. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of fun. How you been, man? Uh, you know, a basement's entirely gutted. So, uh, you know, getting ready to start planning the renovation. And I was going to complain about lights being out at the studio. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I'm looking at, seriously, you know, jumping back to some old geek outs is I've been in contact with the Lumen Cash guys because right. this is a chance for me to redo a bunch of wiring. And I was thinking about going to DC lighting down in the mm-hmm. basement, mm-hmm. get a chance to test that. So we'll see if we can make that happen. It's not there yet. I got to call those guys too. I'm going to do something about my really hot energy, non-efficient lights. In the studio. I got to tell you, when we switched over to the LED MR16s, the whole house temperature changed. You, yeah. you don't realize how much your lighting heats your house. Well, I'm worried about the transistors overheating, right? Like I have transistors in these things. And if you're just throwing so much juice at them, the LEDs would probably uh, make those things hotter, no? Well, yeah, the LED runs on different kind of power. So it's another transformation of the power. And Often that can upset your lighting fixtures. Yeah. I won't be able to just replace the light bulbs. In other words, I have to replace the fixtures. Yeah, I'm not sure. It, they, there's not a simple answer to that. Yeah, yeah. Never is, is there? Nope, never is. Well, I got some better no framework for you, so let's roll the music. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, this is about something Bill might actually bring up, but I'm going to just uh, let everybody know about something that happened if you weren't paying attention. On November 23rd, the Starwood hotel chain fell prey to a point-of-sale malware. Uh, and you can read the story at tinyurl.com slash starwoodbreach. And uh, Starwood admitted that a security breach taking place at 54 hotels has resulted in the theft of financial data from customers. That's and, then, nice. you know, I don't, I don't say this because, you know, it's news, right? Because I, I'm saying this because it happens all the time it's happening more and more and more and more it's just so sad to see you know the, and a lot of these are just uh simple you know sql injection hacks stuff that are no-brainers that they should be protecting themselves from these things yep so that might get our conversation started today it's just <laughs> sad yeah it is a constant thing it's a constant thing i'm sure bill will want to talk about that anyway that's all i got it's 
you know, go read the article. It's kind of interesting. Yep. But I'm sure we'll talk about it today. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a cuss speaking of breaches. Grabbed a comment off of show 1194, the one we do with Troy Hunt. Mm. We talked about the Ashley Madison hack. Mm. And uh, this particular comment from Darren is something that I've been dealing with personally recently. Okay. Personal and professional concern may be appropriate for security, but corporations have no reason to be concerned about security breaches as there is no consequences. Now, in parentheses, he says, now count to 10 and please yeah. listen before you blow your lid and blame yeah. me. Target, you remember mm-hmm. Target's breach. Target's quarterly revenue went up and is humming along at $17 billion. They settled the claim against them for their data breach for $130 million with Visa and MasterCard. Mm. Home Depot's revenue is up since the breach. Adobe paid $1.2 million in legal fees for its class action against its breach of 152 million users. That's the largest mm. breach ever that, that uh, Troy certainly talked about. That's less than a penny per mm. user that it cost mm. them. Uh, while there are operational and legal fees, let's not kid ourselves. The fiscal impact on the company was and is comically low. As such, there is no need for major corporations to spend time, money, or energy towards improving security. That may be true, but it sure is a pain in the ass for the people that do business with those companies, having to change their credit cards and all that. Yes, but not enough to actually affect the company's business in a meaningful way. Well, it, the company, no, but certainly made my life miserable. Well, that and that's the point that Darren's making here. Yeah. We may care, but the companies don't care because there's no consequence. Yeah. And, and Darren goes on to talk about, which brings us back to Ashley Madison. This particular hack is about the content. And he's glad that you and me and Troy touched on the other interesting aspects of it. And as a professional, it's our responsibility to do the right thing. Just don't expect a pat on the back. You know, the other part about the Ashley Madison hack is it also revealed that their business is a sham. Yeah. But that's good. And that doesn't justify the hack. Hacking is still illegal. Right. It's still a crime. You know, I don't have any love for Ashley Madison, but still what happened to them is illegal. And, and, uh, it, you know, and again, there's just no consequences all around. And that site's still up and running and guaranteeing 100% security. So, yeah. which is hilarious sure they are. when you think about it. <laughs> And Darren finishes with, it is a sad state of affairs when a major hack is actually just a security bug announcement. Hmm. And, I, and this is a point that I'm I'm really working on. I've been talking to Troy privately about. It's just this whole idea of how does this actually become consequential to businesses? Like, what is it going to take to actually have businesses care about security? Because the cost for a breach is trivial to the company. It's just not that big a deal. Hell, it's, you almost fall into that all press is good press thing. It's like, let's have security breaches regularly. And while we're at it, we can mention our latest sales. Right. So, uh, Darren, I, you hit me in a very personal spot, something that I'm thinking and working on right now. Who knows where that will actually lead? Happy to send you a .NET Rocks mug. So, if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social media. We post shows to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there... And we read it on the show. We'll send you a mug. And, of course, we tweet. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We'd love to hear from you. And before we introduce uh, Bill here, uh, we got to talk about the ScotNet Rocks Tour of 2016. We're going to Scotland. Monday, uh, January 18th, we'll be in Glasgow. We'll be in Edinburgh Tuesday, January 19th. And Aberdeen Thursday, January 21st. 2016 and uh, that should be a lot of fun for our friends over in the uk yeah we've uh i booked all of the guests now so in each stop we're going to have a different guest all local folks actually scottish developers 
Uh, Gary Short's one of them. Uh, Chris Conte is the other. Chris McDermott, the third. So we have two Chris's for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. If you've never seen a .NET Rocks recorded live, it's a, well, it's a bit of a silly experience, really. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fun with it. And I think it shows through in the recording experience. So hope you'll come out and see us. And you can sign up for that by going to tinyurl.com slash scottnetrocks. It's a great name. Okay, Bill Semph is a programmer and a hacker who's trying to bridge the gap between developers and security folks. You can find him all over the internet. Another short and sweet bio, Richard. I love it. Welcome, Bill. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, comments about what we've talked about so far? Well, so I'll be honest. I am... Um a technician more than a follower of the, the, the policy or the, the, the criminal activity behind um, software security. Mm. So I, I follow the breaches, uh, but the, 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 the issues of implications and what businesses are going to do. Um, I, I try not to give myself too much of a headache about it because it, for one thing, it, as you have determined, has shown us here in just those few minutes, it makes you very frustrated very quickly. You're yeah. right. There is, there is no, there is no, uh, damage done to the organizations. There is no, um, they're, they're not hit in any way by having a breach. Um, <clears throat> and, and we, we see stocks go up after breaches because they're in the news and more people think about them and they have the opportunity to, like you said, Hey, we'll talk about this breach. And what during that, we'll talk about our latest sale, that kind of idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, no news is bad news. You know, it's, it's all good news. Any press is good. And, and that, that's really where we are. Um, at, at the enterprise scale, and uh, it can get very depressing. Yeah, it's it, you get to a very cynical place if you go down this path. Mm. Totally, yeah. And and they they talk about the amount that security people drink, and and that's that's <laughs> why you know um, <laughs> it's it's extremely frustrating. I mean, at the end of the day, the people that are I mean, I'm I'm more of a red team side person most of the time, which means I'm more on the attack side than the defense side. Sure. Um, but um. The, the the people on the blue team side they 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 work their behinds off to try to um, protect their company's assets. Um, they get breached anyway, and no harm, no foul. You know, another reason why they drink so much is it's a lonely job being a security guy, isn't it? I mean, you know, especially in the developer world, and I've said it a million times, developers just they, they just don't like security. Yeah, that's it's true. Um, there's there's a a big gap. Um, a big social gap between the security industry, the information security industry and the developer industry. Mm. Um, very different kinds of people generally are drawn to it. Um, Troy and myself and Jim Manico and Dennis Cruz and guys like that are, are, are the, um, are the exceptions rather than rules. People that are primarily developers, but are security driven developers because fitting in with, with both sides is, um, is, is rather unusual. I, I get off easy because I don't really fit in with either side very well. Um, so the, the, the antisocial side of it fits me very well anyway. Um, <laughs> so you don't have a problem just saying no to everybody. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, the, the, the problem, of course, is that developers want to, their goal is to make their users' lives better. I mean, the vast majority of developers, not, yeah. just not everybody, but the vast majority of developers, th- they want to make beautiful things that users want to use. Whether you're, you know, coding line of business, bank management pages or whatever for, for, you know, superbank.com, or you're on some hot new, um, iOS app with a startup that really has to draw people in with your, your beautiful, responsive design. Either way, the good developers are driven by 
users liking to use their tools and security information security people are really only just saying no all the time. They're, right. they're in, injecting requirements into the development process that bring no value and, in fact, often bring anti-value to users. And that's very frustrating to developers. Yep. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a big gap there. And trying to bridge that gap is, is real hard and something I, I dedicated myself to in, like, I don't remember what I, I stated the year. I'm, if this is the year I'm going to do this, it was, like, 2010 maybe or 2008 or something like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work to bridge the gap. Well, it's, what, going to be 2016 <laughs> a little bit, and I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned uh, except that it's very hard to bridge the gap? Well, Surprisingly, what I've what I've learned is that it, it if you go into it with the right attitude, it's actually not as hard to make the bridge as most people say. What's hard about it is the the scope, the mm. range. There, there's just there's so many programmers, and they turn over. I mean, people only on average, people only stay in you know, hardcore checkout, check-in dev for five or seven years before they go into project management or design or, or, or sales or, um, dev management, team lead, whatever. Um, so every five years, you've got a new crop of people you need to train. Um, and, and the, the problem is we don't have any, um, don't have any corporate memory, organizational memory related to security like we do with software engineering. There's standards of education for software engineering that we've kind of been settling on here for, for 30 years now that mm-hmm. are, that, that, that people, um, kind of pass on in those, those adjunct mentorship kind of arrangements where you've got the guy who's been around for two years longer than you. So he knows a little bit more. Security isn't part of that yet. So we're, we're that's, that's really what needs to happen. I mean, I'm spending a lot of my time going and quite literally working with developers one at a time. Um, as are, and I'm not the only one. Many, many people are. Um, but really, what needs to happen is some kind of team level or organization level or corporate level um, acceptance of software security, software security development mm. as a um, as a standard way of thinking about life. And that's been my my goal here over the past couple of years is to to try to um, I mean like you know cross cutting concerns right uh, yeah. aspect aspect oriented uh, software security but trying to cut across the organization and and make security one of the platforms that the developers are building on um, and it's. Uh, just, just like you would with, I mean, we're starting to see it with like the DevOps movement. We saw it several years back with Agile. Um, we, we saw it several years before that with object orientation. It's not unlike those things. Um, this, this cross cutting basis, uh, along the technology lines, um, of, of making security one of the platforms that we stand on. And that's, that's, that's demanding. And that's, that's, ha- that's a hard part of it, but uh, that, that's what needs to be done, in my opinion. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Our dev-centric friends at Stackify have been awarded PC Magazine's Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating the depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshined the other products in this category. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers. 
which is why PC Magazine's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. So let's say you're brought into a new project as the security guy, yeah. which is a great, a great place to be, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Thanks. Yeah. Well, see, I'm real lucky because I'm actually a dev. I mean, I've I've got 20 years and 18 books yeah. on software development. Right. Um, I, I, I've 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 earned my creds there. Um, so I can go in and talk their language, you know? So what's the first thing that you say? What is the first thing that you do? Honestly, the first thing that I do is appeal to their bucket list. Mm. Um, uh, it sounds weird, but m- most programmers, even if they don't really know anything about security, back in the back of their mind, they're thinking, man, how do these people do this? It must be some kind of super secret illegal stuff, mm. you know, that only some people know about. And instead... I show them how out there it is. Hey, let's go to this GitHub repo and yeah. check out Zap, put it into Eclipse, build it, and break into some web applications. Yep. And they're like, whoa, that's awesome. I mean, even, even people you know that have been around for a while are, are blown away with, with um, that crossover and then how easy it is to do these things. So I, st- I start with, with training. Um, I did it today, literally. Um, I, I, I guess it's public. I put it up on, on Twitter. Um, I, there's a company here in Columbus called Cover My Meds. They're a Ruby shop. Fantastic organization. Works in the pharmaceuticals industry. Um, I sat down with 60 other devs and, and, and just, we just fired up Zed Attack Proxy and Security Shepherd and, and broke some stuff. You know, I always thought that would be a really fun thing to do. I've done classroom training, seems like all my life, but, to to sort of have like a security hacker camp where you take yep. half the room and they're you know the greens and the other half yep. is the browns and uh, you know or whatever the yep. two opposing teams and they try to out hack each other and you know yep. you just sort of learn by uh, you, you know you give them a few tools and things like that but then just say go you know your your thing is to set up an impervious server and at the same time try to take down the other one so let me tell you about two things. First is CTF365, okay. which is a product, and I'm sorry, he's probably going to listen to this, and I've forgotten his name, but um, you can find it at ctf365.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one, one guy put it all together. He's got a team now, and that's what it is. It's just a set of VMs sitting up there in Amazon space. Sweet. Um, that uh, And you go and you get a little mini server of your own, and you have to have certain applications installed on it, and you defend your server and attack the other guys, and there's this huge score sheet. And they have events, and you can buy into it for corporate training, get your people involved, and there's network people, and there's app security people, and um, there, it's, it's not completely no holds barred. I mean, you can't attack the platform and stuff like that. Yeah. but. It's it's very much like what you just described. How cool is that, though? Because now you're taking something developers innately hate, and you're turning it into a game. It's gamifying. That's exactly right. And let me tell you about another thing. I would thing. do that in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Even closer to developers' hearts is Security Shepherd, because it's specifically AppSec. In fact, it's an OWASP project, and we'll talk about OWASP later on. Um, 
But the um, Security Shepherd is a teaching tool. So there are exercises where you go and click on, say, cross-site scripting, and it will explain what cross-site scripting is and then give you a little form where you can try it. If you get it right, it gives you a token that you put in and you get points for that. And then there's a scoreboard on every instance. So you can quite literally, it's just a war file, just set it up on Tomcat locally inside your company behind the firewall. Um, and then let people just hack away at it and it'll keep score. So then you can brag about, you know, how many points you've got. And then there's, there's special challenges you can do with timed things. And it's, it's very, very neat and very powerful. And that's largely what we played with today. Um, but that's a great way to get devs interested in application security is gamification. This, this is really cool, actually, just to get people to practice that. I guess they always the challenge is getting them to roll it into their main app development, like actually affecting your app development. Yes. This sounds like a set of practices to learn how to code against OAuth, for example. Yes. So there's, there's two sides to this story, um, which we, 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 we should probably make clear. There's, there's the red team in application security. There's the red team perspective. So those who are, um, attacking, right? And that's how you get the hook in is by showing people how to hack their own web applications. Um, but then there is the other side. Eventually we need to learn how to code Protect. to prevent yeah. it. Um, there's another OWASP project called WebGoat that it, that it is a, um, at the first blush, a red team activity. It's, you know, click here, work through the lab on cross-site scripting and then try these four challenges. And then it, it marks when you get them done, you get a little check mark and it's yay. And then, okay, let's move on to, you know, in, insecure authentication and, and try these four challenges. Um, but it comes in many flavors and there is a version of it where you can actually turn around, fire up a development environment and fix the problem and then get right. points for that as well. And that's, that's very cool. Uh, there's a project at OWASP called the um, Proactive Controls that's just getting started that is like the OWASP top 10 that probably most people are familiar with, the top 10 most found vulnerabilities over the past three years in application vulnerability analysis. Um, this are, These are the top 10 things you can do to prevent the OWASP top 10. So it's completely written from the developer's perspective, you know, sanitizing your inputs, parameterizing your queries, rather than talking about cross-site scripting and, 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 and SQL injection, we're going to talk about the positive side of things. And that's, of course, the end goal, right, is to get the developers writing more secure software. Mm-hmm. You know, that when I th- I've been a hacker, Richard has been a hacker when we thought, you know, it was cool back when we were kids. But, you know, that word is, is loaded, right? And, uh, of course. You know, one of the fantasies of some of my friends back then was that, you know, I'm going to just get really good and then the government's going to hire me. Right. (laughs) And so they have to put you in jail first. Yeah. Well, I know I went looking, you know, on online about that, you know, does the government hire hackers and all that stuff? And turns out government's having a hard time because they all smoke pot. Yep. There's (laughs) there's three problems. (laughs) This is a real problem. The, The drug test. The dress and the pay. Yeah. And if the, the government can't get over those three things, they're not going to be able to get the people in that they want. Yeah. There are some very smart people that work for the FBI, especially on the NSA. But um, the really, really smart people, I mean, the guys, guys, people, I'm sorry, most of them are women, I think, that are genuinely at that upper level of, like, cryptography, um, they, they aren't. They aren't hireable at this. For one thing, they can in the private sector, you know, 
pull down literally an order of magnitude more money than the government's willing to pay. Sure. Um, they can work out of their basement in their PJs, and yeah, they can smoke pot whenever they want. Yeah, so that story is at hackerpot.pwop.me, M-E. Yep. I uh, added a link to it, and it's only from last year in May. But it's a real problem. The FBI says they, they, they can't hire anybody. They can't. Yeah, it's a real problem. Um, and they really want to. Um, the, the, the most notorious hacker conference um, on the planet is DEF CON held in, in, in uh, Vegas over yeah. the summer, fortunately. And the, one of the primary activities that occurs there, other than the scheduled ones, the regular conference ones, the, the second uh, flow of activities is recruiting. Uh, re- recruiting is a huge problem. There just aren't enough people. Um, we, we have negative unemployment in, in the information security business, even in the private sector where there is money and flexibility, um, and fewer drug tests. <laughs> um, hmm. and, um, the, the government doesn't have a chance. Yeah. There's just so much money in this business because it is considered such a huge problem. Mm hmm. That and, and, and honestly, to do a good job, I mean, you can come out of school, spend a couple of years on a few projects and be a pretty decent developer if you've already got the itch and you're sure. a hobbyist and you go to the events. Information security is one of those things where you have to learn all the underlying stuff first and then the security. People ask me all the time, hey, how do I get into AppSec? And I say, well, first spend 20 years building enterprise applications and then. <laughs> yep. Make it all the mistakes. Yep. Find all yeah. the problems and then just fix them. Right. I got into security in 97 because um, I- I'm sitting at home and one of my servers at a local ISP. Now, I remember this is 97. Okay. So this was a very different internet. Early on. Yeah. Yeah, one of my servers paged me because I had this little script that would page me if certain things happened, paged my phone and said, um, it's hard drive was full. And I, I was like, it's Saturday at 11 o'clock and, and this server is an NT4 server, shouldn't have been full. So I tried to dial in and, and, and connect to it and uh, couldn't. So I got in my car and drove over and opened up the door and went downstairs and logged in on the terminal. The hard drive was completely full of German porn. Nice. Huh. And it was because of a SQL injection vulnerability in one of my applications, and somebody had found it and just taken over the server, and he was using it to store their stuff. And I thought, how is that even possible? How did they do that? Well, that guy, I spent the whole weekend rebuilding the server, and I got to learn all kinds of stuff about security. It's just been a thing ever since. Back in the days of uh, Carl and Gary's VB homepage, we had a uh, Solaris server or something like that that got hacked into we wondered why uh, all the network traffic was going nuts, but our logs weren't full, you know? <laughs> and uh, That's good. somebody hacked it with an FTP share or something like that and was, you know, serving all sorts of software. Yep. From That's it. exactly what this was. Yeah. Exactly. Except it wasn't, it wasn't software. It was yeah, yeah. pictures. Yep. Um, and, um, the, 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 the problem, of course, is like Solaris is a great example. Solaris is a pretty secure operating system. NT4 was famously full of holes. Um, Solaris is pretty solid, right? It's, it doesn't have any security problems, but the, the servers only as solid as the applications that are running on it. Yep. So if you've got a command injection vulnerability, almost nothing is going to save you. If you have the server configured slightly wrong or if your application has holes in it, there's nothing the server can do. It's like malware today, you know? Virus scanners don't, don't do anything anymore. Why not? Because there's no signature to match against. Right. These days, they don't write viruses. They just write the software they want and convince the, the users to install it. Right. 
That's it's and that's that's basically what we're dealing with with the server tier too. Yeah, very true. Although you know there there is still such a thing as unintentionally installable malware, even by somebody oh. smart. For example, I was installing uh, Windows 10 on a brand new hard drive, right? Right. And somehow, I mean, I think it, I downloaded Chrome, you know, to because, so I could do something and install something. I can't remember why. And it, I hadn't done any updates yet. And just all of a sudden, you know, here it comes. And I have no idea where it came from. But uh, all of these search tools started installing and then pop-ups everywhere. And yep. I basically had to format start, it and start yep. over. Start over, yeah. I mean, Java, of all things, famously installs, I think, the Ask toolbar, which oh, yeah. is just a gateway for tons of other malware and quasi-malware. And it's that's Java. I mean, yep. what a third of the internet is running on Java, for crying out loud. It's, it's, it's just, it's embarrassing. Yep, it really is. Over on the IT world right now, our big panic patch is dns there's been a major exploit found in dns and uh for the microsoft stack anyway and so oh, really oh yeah brutal and it's like uh, the patches are already done you know i give microsoft credit for that they figured it out right away and pushed patches out quickly but if you've got you've got some lost dns server out there you're not paying attention to it's being raped right now wow is this the critical that just came through like two days ago yep I'll have to look into that. I didn't even know. Okay. Microsoft DNS servers. Microsoft DNS servers. All right. And is it just the stuff that you run uh, in on-premise or is are your VMs in Azure also suspect? Anything running in Microsoft DNS, which normally you would not run in Azure. Yeah. It's not your responsibility. Yeah, yeah. But it all depends. You know, you can put anything you want in a VM. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can You can set up your whole infrastructure if you want to. That's a that's a good thing. I'll tell you, it's it's, it's interesting because obviously, I mean, we're all here. We, we've been we're all Microsofties pre .NET, right? So, yep. Um, the, the we remember when Microsoft was the butt of every information security joke because oh, their sure. software was so full of holes, and now they pretty much lead the pack. But only because they got their butts kicked first. Uh, that is because they, well, also because they were at the top of the heap for so long. Yeah. Every workstation on every desk was running Windows. Yeah. And um, when, when you have that big of a footprint, you're going to be the target. And when you're the target, the attackers are going to get good. And, yeah, they got their butt beat for a long time, and they finally got good. And now they've got some of the best people in the world working for them and are really making the right decisions most of the time. But it's also – it's as much a policy thing as well. It's just like they don't hide from anything. They take it on the, on the head, square on, and they get the fixes out, which is in the end what we want. There's no point in disguising the fact that you have a vulnerability. You have to tackle it. It's exactly right. Most of it used to be you found out about the vulnerability and sometime later you got a fix. Most of the time today, when there's a Microsoft vulnerability, you hear from about it from Microsoft with the fix. That's exactly right. The the only thing that that's the only places that's not true is in the those uh, the underlying software that's almost ubiquitously associated with Microsoft, like you know Adobe Acrobat Reader and and Flash and stuff yeah. like that. But that's not their software in the end. Yeah. And even Adobe's saying, don't use Flash now, which makes me happy. I know. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> we're finally there. That took us a long time to get there, but we're finally there. Yeah, we've been talking about the death of Flash for 10 years. and Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, uh, Jobs started it. Yeah, and, he did. And with reason. And But now, you know, now that Adobe themselves is saying it, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big step in the right direction, in my opinion. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time for me to tell the funniest computer security joke in the world. Are you ready? I'm ready.
Wow, that killed. Should I repeat it? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have, JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and a XAML-like XML markup. Start building your dream native mobile apps today. Use the NativeScript CLI for free or use NativeScript in Visual Studio with a Telerik platform subscription, which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Get started for free at Telerik.com slash NativeScript. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Craig Fall. Fall flat for you, Craig. Craig Fall. And and Craig just won a big pile of awesome from Telerik. That's the DevCraft collection. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, is it this show? Nope. Close. Oh. Coming up here very soon. <laughs> We're making a lot of people mad. It's tomorrow. Every December we give away a five. Don't tell them it's tomorrow. We want them to listen to every show. <laughs> They're going to listen to every show. Yeah. Uh, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree every December to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And uh, we also like to ask our guest, Bill, of course, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? So there are uh, a, a, so, okay. I got to tell a little story. I have the second tell a little story. Sure. There, the security, um, information security is obviously just part of security in general. Very broad, deep area of, of interest that, that goes into you know, criminal investigation and law and all kinds of weird directions, but really just protecting stuff. And I don't even know if there's an official term for that. Has a, a, a tremendous breadth, and mm. obviously professionally, I focus on application security, but I have interests in certain physical security realms too. One thing in particular is lock picking, for instance, which oh, I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, yeah, I think a lot of people probably know me from from lock picking demonstrations and whatnot. Um, that's probably my my biggest hobby is collecting of locks and and learning how they work and picking them and taking them apart. But um, there is a whole electronic side of things that involves like wireless security and Bluetooth and RFID and all of these things that we're using as digital keys. And there is this wealth of tools and bits that you can use to, um, to, uh, test those devices and protocols and whatnot. Um, mobile devices, little little dongles you stick into the bottom of a, of of an Android or iPhone or Windows phone. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it, it like dumps the memory and you can parse through it and find out what's going on and how the, how the software works. Um, wireless rigs that allow you to, um, uh, change people's wireless signals or, 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 um, collect them and, and process, pre-process them before they go uh, onto their end result. Um, as a man in the middle attack. And none of these things are cheap. And I own some of the cheaper ones of them, but I would love to drop $5,000 on like the real professional tools <laughs> that people use yeah. to break wireless security and, and, and mobile phone security and like that. That would, that would be of interest to me. There's an amazing array of devices in that space. Um, it was, uh, Paula Janowski who introduced me to the rubber ducky. 
Yep. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Right that thing's evil. I just, I, yes, it's fantastic. In fact, I carry it. So my, my, my normal backpack, I carry everything in. Um, I have the pocket on top. <laughs> this is bad. I <laughs> say this. The pocket on top has all my security bits in it. Um, so I've got like a land turtle in there and, and some other stuff. If, if, if I am in a position to have to demonstrate something, um, I can very quickly to demonstrate why something is dangerous physically. And the rubber ducky is in there and I've, it's, it's pre set up with a script that all it does is open notepad and put this ASCII art of, um, of Bart uh, Simpson writing, uh, I will not leave my machine unlocked. I will not leave my machine unlocked on the chocolate. <laughs> um, and it's great because you, you, you can, I mean, if the machine's unlocked, you can plug it into the USB port and it takes it like three seconds yeah. to put that up on the screen. And then you just pull it out and walk away. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun it, on client site. You know, in, in my youth, living with a group of, of hackers, but back when it was not the derogatory term that it is today, Right. Uh, if you ever left your machine unlocked in any other way, we we prepped for ages. Like uh, my big thing was actually recreating your shell so you felt like you were actually using the machine, but you weren't. So I could just mess with you. Yep. You know? <laughs> they, yep. We did all kinds of crazy things to your machine. It became a, that became the hobby was what have you done to my computer? Can yeah. I figure it out and undo it? Yep. I remember baggy pantsing people at OSU back in the early '90s when I was involved with with Magnus there. Uh, if, if one of the Sysops would leave their, um, machines, one of the internal sessions unlocked, you'd go and, and, and post on one of the internal SU boards about how, how baggy their pants were, you know, as ah. if they're talking about their own <laughs> self. Um, they're talking in first person. Uh, and it's, it was a, it, that became a thing. All right. I feel like we're, you know, more than halfway through the show. And other than some gamification exercises to get a feel for what to do, I don't know this, that, Developers know what to do to make their software more secure. Yeah, that's a that that's it, it's true. It's the the problem is is that we we get on uh well this is not that show so I guess we could talk .net specific stuff but the the, the problem <clears throat> is that so few people are um specific to a particular platform. From an attack perspective, it doesn't matter what platform you're on. Right. When I do a vulnerability analysis, I run the same set of tests with maybe a 2% variation, independent of your platform. Uh, the web is web. And it, right. it, it all goes to HTTP in the end, no matter what you're coding in. That also speaks volumes to how worthless it is to disguise what your platform is. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. Sort of. Disguising your version is nice. Because right. if I know you're using ask.net too, I don't need to try things in Metasploit. I just know exactly what to send to you. Right. Um, but disguising your platform, it's pretty obvious what platform you're on. Um, and, and you're right. It's, um, it's, it, it, most of the stuff works. It doesn't matter what your platform is. It, it works because HTTP was not designed for security. Right. Um, it was designed for sharing. Right. Um, so because of that, most of the application security people are HTTP centric. They are not focused on the solution. They are just focused on the problem. Right. Um, and the handful of us that are, like Jim Manico, who, who is a, a Java specialist, and Troy Hunt, who's a .NET specialist, mm. um, there's only so, it's only so many of us. So we try to teach, and we, I mean, uh, Troy has the fantastic free um, ebook that he put together out of that massive blog series he did on Ask.net. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, even though it's it's still absolutely required reading for every .NET developer. Probably 15, 20% of it is already out of date because the platform moves along so fast. Right. 
Um, and he may he might be keeping it up to date. I'm not positive. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. But it's still a fantastic resource. But things move so fast. Um, Germanico just put out a fabulous book about hardening Java security. Um, but once again, I mean it, th that book's brand new, so not much has changed. But I mean, Java didn't Java nine just push? Yep. And that so it's gonna be. It, I mean, there's gonna be pieces of that that's out of date. So unless you make this conscious effort to continually update, it's so hard to teach developers what tools are available. And that's something we're trying to do at OWASP, the Open Web Application Security Project, is fill in the gaps of knowledge where the, the documentation of the products um, falls short. One quick example. So we all know now that you can't store passwords in databases. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. Every time we've had Tron, it's like, it's still SQL injection, guys. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, well, now, of course, we can't even store just hashes. Right. Because the computers are so powerful, reversing hashes is no pretty problem. much easy. MD5 is broken. Um, SHA-1 is effectively broken. Mm. Apparently, you can feed MD5 hashes to Google now, and it'll and the search results will come back with the password. Yes, in most cases. That's true. <laughs> Once quantum computing hits full swing, all of that stuff is doomed. So the only thing, all we can do is use key derivation formulas with some kind of uh, work factor and per uh, hash salt, right? Right. And that still works because as computers become more powerful, we can increase the work factor. Okay. That said, .NET developers, for instance, most of them don't know that my favorite key derivation formula, PBKDF2, um, is built right into the .NET framework. Hmm. Yes, there is an MSDN entry on it, but it doesn't say anywhere, hey, use this to store your passwords if you have to build your own authentication routine. This is what you should use. Hmm. So what do we do? In the OWASP.net project, we wrote an article about it. And that's something we're trying to do for across the board for .NET security knowledge. And I'll take this moment since we're on a .NET podcast mm -hmm. to put it out there. I am the program manager for the .NET project. It's um, you. Me, yes. Um, if you have any interest in application security or specialization in application security, go to OWASP's homepage, OWASP.org. On the left-hand side, there's a big list of projects, a .NET project's on there. Click on it. Click on how to get involved. Join the mailing list and join us. Write a couple of these articles Help us gather this security knowledge that's kind of being passed from person to person, and we need to have some kind of organizational memory about it mm -hmm. um, so that we can get that exact problem solved, that the developers don't know what to do. We can start to solve it on a platform-by-platform -platform basis. And, hey, I'm willing to start with .NET. That's what I mean. I'm, I've, I know lots of people say this, but it's genuinely true. I'm, I was... I was getting DHL disks with the VB.exe compiler on .NET 1999 because yeah. I wrote on the ProVB.net book um, that, that, that Rocks put out. Um, I, I've been a .NET guy for a long time, and um, I'd like to see this problem. It, it, it's never going to be a solved problem, but at least a solution path that we're working towards sure. um, for information or application security in .NET. I grabbed your uh, your .NET security cheat sheet. I'll, yeah. I'll add as a link. And under the encryption section, it says bullet one, never. 
ever write your own encryption. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's Don't roll your own encryption. The cryptographers are smarter than everybody listening to the podcast put together. Yes. Mm. They put them in white rooms and beat them with whips <laughs> yeah. to make them come up with this stuff. But then you go straight into the data protection API. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, and, and there's, so there's rolling your own encryption, then there's implementing things. Yes. And, um, I, I'll be honest with you. Encryption is probably my weakest topic in application security. Um, and I just, uh, um, sat at our local Columbus OWASP meeting. Uh, Kevin Wall came in, who's a, the head of the ASAPI project at OWASP, one of the heads and, um, gave us two hours on problems in your crypto code. And, I learned more in those two hours than I could ever even tell you. And all his slides are available on OWASP website in the education section, by the way, nice. if you're interested. Um, but yes, it's, there's, there's building your own cryptography and then there's implementation. Yep. And we're, at some point, you're going to have to implement some cryptography. The more, the higher level of libraries you can get involved, <laughs> um, the better you are. I mean, Bouncy Castle is, is there. Use it, mm. you know. Bouncy Castle? What's Bouncy Castle? Yeah, Bouncy Castle is a, it's, it's basically a, um, a, a lightweight, super easy to use dot decrypt dot encrypt API, both for Java and C sharp. And, nice. um, it, it's, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't, I haven't used it in a few years. I'm assuming it's still pretty close to the top of the everything. Their, their latest, the C sharp release was just released on 20, 22 November, which was just like a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, so they're nice. keeping it up to date. Um, it's back, a couple of years ago, it was the absolute gold standard of implementations for uh, .NET security. Um, and that's the issue. Like you talk about the DPAPI um, and, and it's like, well, okay, we're not supposed to roll our own crypto, but yeah, we've got the DPAPI and that's what we're supposed to use. Well, okay, there's tiers here. I mean, rolling your own algorithm is absolutely out. No way. For, don't even right, ask. Right. But rolling your own implementation you know, if you really know what you're doing and you've got a good review in place and somebody who knows encryption tests it, okay, maybe, mm -hmm. but make sure you know what you're doing. Um, I'd rather see most devs use an encryption library, frankly. Yeah, well, and, and right underneath that, you're talking about PBKDF2. Yep. Which is built into the .NET framework. Built right in, and people don't know. And yep. that's the issue is, is the, the knowledge is too spread out and we, we don't have that, that central location. Well, I'm trying to make the .NET project that central location for, um, .NET security knowledge. So listeners, if, if you even just a hobby interest in security, you want to get involved. Hey, if you don't want to write, we still need reviewers. Um, or just come listen and provide some feedback. That's just, just get involved. You mentioned physical security and sure. uh, I always think that's where computer security starts the lock on the door the security camera yep. you know the uh restricted access to the server room that kind yep. of thing because that's yep. that's the low-hanging fruit right for i've seen this happen you know people in a company when they get disgruntled or whatever and they still have access they may steal a backup tape or you know uh sabotage a computer i mean that kind of stuff happens a lot the inside job and they're pretty sure that's what the sony attack was yeah insider yeah. And um, we don't even talk about those things on the show when we talk about security, really, because, you know, they're, they're, it's just common sense, right? Well, you say that, but common sense is just not that common. Yeah, it's true. Um, and and we, we, we forget about the, the security principles like separation of duties. Um, 
and and we have these talented developers out there and they're good with code and we need somebody to deploy their code and what better than the person who's really good with code to build the deployment tools. So the developers end up with keys to the production servers and then when things go south, bad things happen. So yep. we, we, I mean, separation of duties is one of those common sense things, you know, Hey, the, the devs, dev, QA tests, DevOps deploys, you know, infosec securities, don't let the, don't cross the streams and things will be much better going forward. But when, you know, you get desperate and, you're short money and you're short time and you're short people and you got to get the product out the door. Everybody just kind of jumps in the middle and then you end up with an environment where everybody has access to everything. And yeah, when somebody gets upset, then bad things happen. Wi-Fi seems like a, a pretty broad attack vector. Absolutely. I, I see this all the time. You know, yep. Wi-Fi systems are compromised. So the, the, I've seen a, a sea change here too, because for a long time, um, because uh, having a, a password on WPA or WEP and, and requiring the, the user to have a passing knowledge of how their device works in order to put in a passcode to access the an encrypt, then encrypted Wi-Fi stream um, was just too much trouble for people. So they just opened it all the way up. And of course, that's a disastrous idea. Um, I, I went to a um, an event at a company that I will not name here in Columbus Um and we were sitting waiting for the event to start, and I used a little tool on my Android phone called called Thing um, that lets you connect to wireless, then look at the wireless network around you, which you can do. Um, and I'm flipping through, and I was like, okay, there's an iPhone, there's an iPad, there's another Android phone, there's a, hey, look, there's a window, so that's cool. That's a, okay, yeah, yeah, there's a printer. A printer? Wow, a printer on a public Wi-Fi? I'm guest Wi-Fi, that's weird. Scroll mm. down a little more. Oh, look at this. POS1, POS2, POS3. Oh, Wow. This isn't just guest wireless. This is their company wireless. No. Of course, RDP was installed on all the POSs, and it was all default usernames and passwords, and it was a disaster. But um, I, uh, I did responsible disclosure for that one, uh, <clears throat> and, and moved on mm. with my life. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a um, it's a fantastic vector, and there are so many easy ways to um, to do things with wireless too. So many cool toys, and of course, the preeminent um, wireless attack and analysis tool out there, Wireshark, is free. Yep. So does this mean like you could open this up and just watch people's traffic without any kind of uh, you know permission? Unencrypted traffic, absolutely. So this is why two things are important. Wire, wireless security, right? Either WEP or WPA, um, running on the, the actual endpoint, right? The actual access point, rather, the AP. And then using TLS for everything. TLS across the board. All right. TLS, give us just the acronym, please, here. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, I've been taken to task recently for not having people define their acronyms well ssl tls transport layer security right sorry um so ssl secure sockets layer is broken so yeah. we're not using that anymore now transport layer security tls it's currently in 1.2 um if you're server configuration at all uh if you're in the financial industry you need to know that tls 1.0 has actually been deprecated and you're not allowed to use it after um june 30 as well mm -hmm. um so there's all kinds of bits to that um but yeah, so I mean, accessing your your websites under under uh, TLS is um, any application, mm -hmm. any service oriented thing, anything. There's just no excuse anymore. So unencrypted data. So if your Wi-Fi access point has a passphrase on it, does that mean all the data between you and the Wi-Fi is encrypted? Right. So that's going to that's going to prevent. Um, that's going to pre 
what it's going to do is prevent people from the outside. Wireless security is not my area of specialty. Let yeah, me yeah. Say. It'll pre- it prevents people from spying on the network. I, I think under web, if they're on the same network as you, I think they can still see the traffic. All right. So if I download Wireshark and I connect to, you know, my local coffee shop Wi-Fi and I use their password, anybody who's using anything unencrypted, I can see what they're doing. Right. So there's a um there's a tool out there, it's still out there called FireSheep, and it was originally designed as a Firefox plugin. Mm. And what it was first designed to do was um it would watch unencrypted traffic, unencrypted logged in Facebook traffic. Mm. And um, pick up the session token, and then just the accounts would start lining up in the in the thing, and you could just click on an account and become that person because you had their session ID mm. because it was traveling in unencrypted traffic, and then you could be that person on Facebook while you were sitting on the same wireless network as them. Mm. Well, that this is where the whole uh, when Google and Facebook and all those switched over to HTTPS all the time That's was right. because of FireSheet. FireSheet right. was the original tool. It's the original tool, uh, and it's based on the same idea. Wireshark's just the down-to-the-metal version of that. Yeah, I mean, Wireshark is the definitive tool for analyzing network traffic, period. That's right. You know, for all kinds of things. Uh, the Wi-Fi Pineapple was the ultimate manifestation of FireSheep, which is basically a little device that just impersonated everybody's access points. Not exactly. So what FireSheep did is prove that TLS – um was required on every login page, the page before the login page, and every page after the login page, every logged in page, right? Right. Um, because the session ID is valuable and should be protected. That's really what FireSheep was showing to do. The pineapple by Hack5 is um, really designed to uh, exploit the social network, a social aspect of wireless networking. So have you ever used your device and um, connected to a wireless network at, at your friend's house and check that little checkbox that said, yes, remember this network so that every time your machine goes to sleep and wakes back up, it just goes, oh, my network's here. I'll connect to it. Have you ever checked that box? Hell, half the time those boxes don't even exist anymore. <laughs> Most phones just automatically presume I should remember this forever. That's exactly right. So you probably don't know this, but your phone is, if, as long as your Wi-Fi is on, your phone's walking around all the time going, hey, wireless network one, are you there? Wireless network two, are you there? Wireless network three, are you there? Wireless network four, are you there? And all the pineapple does is say, yeah, wireless network four, what you need? And it's, oh, awesome. Here's my token. Connect to me. Well, there's a, there is a way. I don't know if uh, it, it seems to me this is a way to get around that or to protect yourself, which is most phones have a switch that say ask to join networks. Right. And if you turn that off, then your network, your known networks are going to connect automatically. Right. So turn that on. Turn that on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can. Um, and, and that's a, I, I um, recently had some fun stuff. Um, I, my, um, my Halloween character this year was, if anybody who's listening or you guys have ever played, played Shadowrun, um, I was a, a Decker from Shadowrun. So Shadowrun's a, a cyberpunk role-playing game. And um, deckers are the hackers. They're the people who break into computers and they they carry their deck around with them and jack into the, the matrix and hack into things and, and like that in the game. And so I actually have a Panasonic Toughbook that I doctored all up to look all cyberpunky. And um, in, literally in my pouch, I had a Wi-Fi pineapple on a battery. 
and I was war walking as I was walking around okay. doing uh, Halloween this year, not actually doing anything bad, just simply collecting AP names. Yeah. And I walked around my local city's um, city thing and came back and had um, 13,780 AP names. Wow. Holy man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, if, if the pineapple had actually been set to make the connection and then go out, say, through my phone, I could have collected all kinds of stuff. Mm. Well, the real quick, the other thing I've read about the pineapple is that they have all the most common names that will link, sys, D link, all those sorts of things. And they've already pre-computed all the task tables for all the most common passwords. So if you're using a default AP name and a common password, it doesn't matter that security's turned on. Hmm. I don't, I'm not familiar with that so much because it's supposed to. Well, if you use it to link to an ex- another AP and mimic this, that would make sense. The, the the use case for the pineapple that that I use most often is I give it internet access somehow, usually through yep. my Android phone, um, and then I, I set my phone as a as a uh, well either USB to it or I set it as a, a Wi-Fi point. Have the pineapple connect it for internet access, and then it collects people's uh, it, it uh, um, broadcasts its AP. Uh, pineapple goodness all over the place and then people connect to it and it, to them it looks like they're just connected to the network but really I'm playing man in the middle right. so uh, all their um, uh, all their unencrypted traffic and maybe even their it could be their encrypted traffic too if I was smart about how I set up the pineapple I can watch go back and forth and there was a version of iOS and I know we got to wrap it up soon but uh, that automatically connected to ATT Wi-Fi and I'm not sure if that was even uh, if, you know, asked to join networks was on. But wow. uh, that's, yeah, that's nasty. Yeah, that's some scary stuff. See, scary it's, stuff. And that's the problem we have is the developers want to, is in general, us as developers just want to make the users happy. That's right. We want and and security just gets in the way of that. I mean, we want these cool features that remembers your account information and makes it easy for you to log back in and doesn't require you to do fancy crazy stuff like check check boxes or put in passwords or mm-hmm. or get security keys but the fact is is we need those things yeah and and if we're going to be secure so there's got to be some kind of balance point between security and usability and that's that's what we've all got to work together to find well bill keep keep the faith and keep working that uh, balance we need it but uh, thanks for being with us today hey absolutely my pleasure thank you both all right and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.